Let's stand and sing together.
one of the themes um, of the sermon is the resurrection. So the songs that we picked in classic hymn-like form, it's usually the third verse that talks about the heaven, but um, they're such great words. They tell the story of Jesus dying on the cross and, and taking the punishment for our sins. So our next one is Hallelujah for the Cross, which seems like a leap, but the third verse is what makes it all make sense. Wait till I fight with this thing for a second. 
gets tangled up in my hearing aids, as you can tell. Anyway, there is lots of things to be thankful for this morning, and uh, we are going to do that. Let's read together the call to worship this morning. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. He is exalted above all peoples. Let them praise him in an awesome name. Holy is he. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you this morning that we can be here today. And we just praise and thank you for your goodness to us, the many blessings you bestow upon us. And we just pray as we are here, listen to your word, listen to the song message in, in, uh, that you have for us. We will have our hearts open and we can set aside the cares of the world, the cares of the week, and uh, focus on you this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, Rod is going to bring us scripture reading. I am reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers, we, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or are grieved, or grieved like the, men, the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Some of you may remember a few years back, there was a 
was a novel put out by Tim LaHaye called Left Behind. <clears throat> it was a fictional story based on the scriptural teaching of Jesus returning and gathering all Christians out of this world to himself. Uh, and in this novel, Tim LaHaye imagines what life will be like for those who are left behind. And I think it was made into a movie about six or seven years ago. So you might be familiar with that movie. But this wasn't the first time that there have been people writing and speculating on the subject. There was a lot of attention given to this subject back in the 70s. Uh, when people were writing and speculating on the events and the after events of Jesus' return for his own, there were prophecy conferences going around all over the country and preaching on this subject and all that. When I was in Bible college, I remember hearing a story of a joke played on one of the students, one of the student leaders in, I don't know what was that college, or some Bible college. As I said, there was a prophecy conference going on at that school with a lot of talk about the rapture. And so in one of the men's dormitories, a young man, or young men being what they are, these guys decided to have some fun with this, uh, with this whole thing. Uh, the student leader of that dorm was having a nap in his room. And all the other guys in that dorm decided to play a joke on him. So they left their stereos turned on, or a couple of electric razors left running in the washroom, shaving kits open beside, beside the sinks there, towels laying on the floor beside the sinks. Everything made to look like everyone had just disappeared. Uh, they knew when this student leader woke, would wake up, he would expect the dorm to be full of activities with guys getting ready for supper and so on. Uh, so anyway, they did all that, and then they all just left. They just left the dorm totally empty. Well, when this guy woke up <laughs> and started down the hall to the washroom, he noticed all of this and all the strange emptiness of the dorm, but stereo still going and razors still going and towels laying on the floor and and his head full of all this talk of rapture going on in that school the last few days. Well, you know where his thoughts went. <laughs> Jesus has come and the rapture has happened and I've been left behind. <laughs> so he had a frantic half hour or so until he figured out the truth. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much counseling he needed in the days to follow. But Bible school young adults can be mean sometimes. <laughs> They're kind of grown up but not quite... <laughs> But at any rate, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What we as Christians call the rapture. We're getting back to our study of 1 Thessalonians this morning after taking a break from Mother's Day last Sunday. And the passage we come to is this passage that Rod just read for us. Chapter 4, verse 13 to 18 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the first part of chapter 4, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, is Paul reminding these Thessalonians have some instructions on how to live their daily lives as Christians. Paul had given them these instructions before when he was there bringing the gospel to them and establishing those who accepted Jesus into a church. And here in this letter to them, now sometime later, Paul is reminding them of these instructions and urging them to keep on obeying them. They were doing good, they were doing well, but he urged them to keep on in obedience to these instructions. He spent most of the time in the first part of chapter 4 in talking about sexual purity. 
and how their daily lives, they need to be different from what their society was. These ancient Greek and Roman cities were notorious for their lack of sexual morals. But Paul reminds them that since they have become Christians, they are to leave that kind of lifestyle and to live lives of sexual purity. And he also reminds them that the need to practice love for their fellow Christians, that's a great testimony to the world, outside world. They are to live peaceably, peaceable lives, not be a nuisance to others. That's what we looked at last time. And now today as we go on into chapter 2, verse 13 and following of chapter 4, we see Paul move to a concern that these Thessalonian Christians had. And you can't help but think that this concern had been communicated to Paul, likely from Timothy, when Timothy returned from his visit to there, to, to Thessalonica. And what Paul writes here is, is an answer to that concern. That concern was regarding those of their church family who had died. When Paul and his companions had been there bringing the gospel to them, and then teaching those who had placed their faith in Jesus, he had taught them that Jesus was coming back to gather them to himself for all eternity. And that he could return at any time. That's what Paul would have preached to them. But now it seems like some of their fellow Christians had died, and Jesus still hadn't come back. So what's going to happen to them? Are they going to miss out on Jesus' return if they've died before he comes back? That was a concern. So these verses are Paul's answer to that concern. And in this answer, we have probably the most detailed teaching in the Bible on this truth, that Jesus will return and gather up all believers to meet him in the air. Bible scholars call this the rapture, uh, or the rapture of the church. That term isn't actually in the Bible, in our English Bibles. Uh, it comes from the Latin. Uh, when the Greek New Testament was translated into Latin a few hundred years after this, uh, they used a Latin word for that phrase caught up. You see in verse 17 that phrase caught up. Uh, they used a Latin word to translate that phrase. And it's from that Latin word that we get our English word raptured from. So that's why this event has been called the rapture uh, by Christians. So let's look into this passage and see what it teaches. And notice that this passage of this, or the, that, the, that the message of this passage centers around hope and comfort. We as Christians have a great hope as we look into the future. And we have this great hope because of the teachings that we see here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. The first hope that comes out of this passage is that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of Christians who have died. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of Christians who have died. Notice that Paul starts this passage in verse 13 by saying he didn't want them to be uninformed or ignorant about those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who have died. He didn't want them to be ignorant or uninformed about them. And the reason? He, he didn't want them to grieve like the rest who have no hope. The non-Christian pagan world of that time, in spite of all their gods that they worshipped and all their religious beliefs, they really had no hope beyond the grave. When a person died, that was the end. It was over. You would never see that person again. That person was dead and gone, period. 
So upon the death of a loved one, there was a lot of grief because it was over. You'd never see them again. And Paul is writing now to these Thessalonians to say it's different for us as Christians. He's writing to these Thessalonian Christians to save them from that kind of unwarranted grief. Unlike the pagan world around them, we as Christians do have hope. So we don't need to grieve like those who have no hope. What is different for us as Christians upon the death of a Christian loved one that gives us hope and that saves us from that kind of hopeless grief? Well, Paul goes on to explain, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That, that's an indisputable fact of history. So if the death and resurrection of Jesus really happened, then that means that there is a resurrection for us as Christians as well. And that's a truth taught throughout the New Testament. Jesus' death paid the price of the sin of the world. His resurrection won the victory over death, thus guaranteeing a resurrection to eternal life for all who have placed their faith in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is called the first fruits of those who are asleep. Or the first fruits of all Christians who will subsequently die. They'll be resurrected too. Jesus is the first fruits. And then when Jesus comes back, those who have died. That's teaching is in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus' resurrection and the subsequent resurrection of all believers, those two are always linked together. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so too will we. It is the resurrection of Jesus that guarantees the resurrection for the Christian who has died. So that's what Paul is saying there in verse 14. Because Jesus died and rose again, there will be a resurrection of the Christians who have died. Now the concern of these Thessalonians was that their Christian loved ones who had died before Jesus returned might, might somehow miss out on this glorious event of Jesus returning to gather his disciples to himself. But Paul said, no, no. In fact, Paul says, Jesus will bring the souls of those departed loved ones with him when he comes. Verse 14. So that implies, that, that implies that right now they are with Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, he will bring them with him. And as the rest of this passage teaches, their bodies will be resurrected. And the implication is that then their bodies will be reunited with their souls at the time Jesus returns. But what I want us to see here is that this is all predicated on the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what makes all of this possible. And not only possible, but it guarantees that this will happen. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is such an important doctrine for us as Christians. Because everything rests on it. That's why Easter is such a big celebration for us as Christians. Because that's what everything rests on. Jesus' resurrection. It guarantees for us a resurrection from the dead. To be with Jesus for eternity. So friends, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That, that's historical fact. 
And if that is true, which it is, then we don't have to worry about dying. Or of our Christian loved ones dying. That isn't a cause of grief for us. Like it is for those who don't know Jesus. Our Christian loved ones who have died aren't going to miss out on anything. If we die before Jesus returns, we aren't going to miss out on anything. Jesus rose from the dead and thus so will we. Secondly, Jesus will return to gather all Christians, dead and alive, to himself. Jesus will return to gather all Christians, dead and alive, to himself. I'm looking here at verses 15 through 17. So after what he wrote in verse 13 and 14, Paul in these verses explains in a bit more detail what will happen when Jesus returns. To show that those still alive when Jesus returns will not have any advantage over those who have already died. And notice that Paul says this is something that he got from the word of our Lord. From the word of the Lord. In other words, this was a teaching or a revelation that came from Jesus himself. Notice beginning in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This we say to you. So Paul wasn't the only one preaching this. It seems to indicate that this is something all the apostles were teaching. And they got this teaching from Jesus himself. Now there's no really no record in the gospels of Jesus teaching it this or, or teaching this. Like it's put out here. The closest you see is in John 14 verse 3 when Jesus says that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Maybe that's what Paul's referring to. He said we receive this from the word of the Lord. Or it could be that Jesus taught, taught this further to his disciples that it's not recorded in the scriptures. Jesus taught a lot of things that aren't recorded in the scriptures. Or it could be that Jesus revealed this teaching to his apostles later on, after his death and resurrection and ascension. He said he was going to do that in John 16. He said, there's a lot of things I have to say to you. You can't bear it now, but after I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll inform you of all these things. But at any rate, this teaching is teaching that came to the apostles from Jesus himself. So here's that teaching. The rest of verse 15 through 17. Those Christians who are still alive at the time of Jesus' return will not go to be with Jesus first. In fact, it's almost the other way around. Although these events happen almost simultaneously. So there's no advantage to being alive when Jesus returned versus having died when Jesus comes back. When the time comes, Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout. In my translation, it says, let's stop there for a bit. I noticed when Rod was reading, it says, your translation says, with a command. Uh, that word that's translated shout or command uh, is a word used of the shout of a charioteer to his horses. It's a word used of the, uh, of the shout of a hunter to his hounds. It's a word used of a shout to soldiers by their commander. There's a ring of authority and a note of urgency that comes with the definition of this word. 
And in a sense, it's uh, what is shouted is a command. So Jesus will come down from heaven with a shout, with a command. And perhaps we can get a bit of a picture of this from when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. You can read that story sometime, but, but you all remember the story of, John, of uh, Mary Martha's brother Lazarus dying and Jesus didn't come and when he caught there he had been dead for four days and Jesus told him to open the tomb and they were a little, a little reluctant to do it because he had been sitting in a hot cave for four days. <laughs> but they did and then it, it says there that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus come forth. So maybe that will be the shout when Jesus comes back. As Jesus commands his disciples who have died to come forth from the grave. Or commands those who are still alive to come up to meet him. Maybe that's the picture. He'll descend from heaven with a shout. Also along with a the shout, there will be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Uh, when I was researching this, uh, apparently the way this is expressed or worded in the original Greek, it makes it unsure if the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God are two different things or if that the same thing. Um, the trumpet of God is the voice of the archangel. It's, it's hard to tell from the original Greek, apparently. Um, so commentators are divided on it. At any rate, it sounds like this will not be a quiet affair. There is shouting and voices and trumpet. So the question then immediately comes to our minds, or at least it came to my mind, <laughs> who's going to hear all of this? Is this something that just Christians will hear? Or will everyone in the world hear it? And since it doesn't explicitly say, we're left to do some speculating. But let's look at some other examples in the scripture where God spoke from heaven. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me, please. Uh, turn to John 12. Gospel of John, chapter 12. And we're looking at verses 28 and 29 here. So this is, a, Jesus is getting close to his death as we come to this part in John. And he's talking to the crowds and, and uh, he's telling them that he's going to die. And whoever loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life will, will save it. Um, goes on to talking about how troubled he is because... Uh, he's come to this hour of his death, and but verse 27, what, what shall I say? This is Jesus talking, what shall I say? Uh, save me from this hour? Should I pray that? But it's for this hour I came. And so then he says, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who were stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, the voice came not for my sake, but for your sakes. So, God spoke to Jesus from heaven, with a clear message to Jesus. The crowd that was with Jesus, however, they, they heard something, but they didn't know what it was. Some said it thundered, some said, oh, an angel talking to him. And then Jesus told them that the voice they heard was for their sakes and not for his. Now turn over to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 7.
Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is the story of, of Jesus appearing to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. Uh, the Apostle Paul, this was before his conversion. He was bent to capture and imprison and torture and kill, perhaps, all Christians. And on his way to Damascus to round up Christians for that purpose. Uh, let's read it. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And then turn over to Acts chapter 22. Acts 22. Uh, this is uh, the account of Paul explaining to the mob at Jerusalem who are out to kill him. Uh, He was explaining to them how he became a Christian and why he became a Christian and how he came to his belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And he tells this story to this crowd, to this mob, of how he saw Jesus on that Damascus road. And so this is kind of Paul's testimony about that, how Jesus appeared to him on that road. So of interest here is verses 6 through 9 of Acts 22. And Paul relating the story here, he said, But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus around noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one speaking to me. So Paul says that he saw a bright light, which turned out to be Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him and he answered. But the people with him, they saw a light and heard a voice, but they, they didn't understand what the light was. They couldn't understand what the voice was saying. So back now to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians verse 16. And that question of who will hear the shout and the voice and the trumpet? Well, we don't have an answer for that. <laughs> But based on the two passages we just looked at, I kind of speculate, and this is just my personal speculation, that's all it is, <laughs> that we as Christians, this is my speculation, we as Christians will, will hear the shout and understand it. We'll hear the voice and the trumpet. We will understand what it means. We may well even see Jesus descending from heaven. The unsaved world around us, though, They may well hear something, and maybe even see something, and may well know that something supernatural is happening, but they likely won't understand what it is. And they won't be able to make any sense of it. So that's my personal speculation. <laughs> it's just that, my personal speculation, don't make more of it than that. <laughs> but it seems to me that the idea that the rapture will just suddenly be all Christians silently disappearing from the planet... Uh, 
I don't think that's consistent with this passage of, uh, that we're looking at here, at here. As soon as I find it again. There we go. It seems to me that this will not be a quiet, silent, stealthy kind of thing. Not when there's a great shout and a trumpet blast <laughs> and the voice of the archangel. But at any rate, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the first thing to happen after that will be the raising from the dead of those Christians who already have died. It says in verse 14 that Jesus is bringing with him, he's bringing those who have died with him when he comes. So it seems to me that their souls are with Jesus. And they're coming back with Jesus, but now their bodies will be raised from the dead and the souls and the bodies will be reunited. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the raised bodies will be raised incorruptible, never to die again. So they'll be like the body of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. And immediately after the resurrection of the dead Christians, and almost simultaneously with that, those Christians who are alive when Jesus comes will be caught up. And there's our word rapture. <laughs> raptured, caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And at this point also, those Christians who are alive when Jesus returns will have their bodies changed and transformed to an incorruptible body too. Yeah. So if you read 1 Corinthians 15 in the last 6 or 8 or 10 verses of that chapter, it kind of talks about the bodies being changed. So there will be a grand reunion in the clouds of the air. Dead Christians brought back to life. Reunited with living Christians. And all of us reunited with Jesus. Never to be parted again. Notice that. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. We're never going to be parted from him again. Never separated from Jesus again. Never separated from each other again. So and another just by the way. Notice that we will meet Jesus in the air. Jesus at this point doesn't come down to the earth. Not from what it says here. He descends from heaven, calls to his disciples, catches them up to meet him in the air, and thus we will always be with him. That's what it says. So it seems to me that this is a separate event from when Jesus does physically return, comes right down to the earth to bring judgment on the wicked. So that's What's happening here sounds like a different event than what, uh, what it's talking about here in this passage. Friends, Jesus will return to gather all Christians, dead and alive, to himself. It'll be a great reuniting of dead and living Christians, but more than that, a great reuniting of all of us Christians with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, verse 3, because if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That you may be with me. For all eternity. So this will happen. This will happen. This is the word of God. This will happen. This is what we as Christians have to look forward to. That great resurrection, reunited, being caught up to be with Jesus in the air. So, that brings us to the next point. Thirdly, 
These facts are a source of hope and comfort for us as Christians. These facts are a source of hope and comfort for us as Christians. Verse 18. Paul says, he closes the section with that, with that command. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the big reason why Paul is explaining this teaching. These Thessalonians were concerned about fellow Christians who had died and Jesus hadn't come back yet. There was some misinformation there, or at least a lack of information. And he was leading, that lack of information was leading some, to some consternation and unfounded grief and hopelessness among the people of this church. And it could be that the same thing holds for us as Christians today. Likely there are Christians who don't have a good understanding of how things will end. And that leads to uncertainty. That leads to a fear because it's unknown. And perhaps to unnecessary grief and hopelessness. But knowing how it's going to end for us as Christians, knowing that Jesus will return for us and how it will unfold for us, that saves us from the fear of the unknown and that saves us from unnecessary grief and hopelessness. So Paul tells these Thessalonian Christians to comfort one another with these words. Or encourage each other with these words. Knowing this truth of Jesus' return and all that goes with it is a great comfort, great encouragement to all of us who are Christians. So friends, if you're a Christian, if you have understood the truth of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and if you have made the choice to place your faith of him, in him and repent of your sin, invite him into your heart to be your savior. If you're a Christian, the knowledge of Jesus' return for you and all Christians is a source of great hope and comfort. Knowing about Jesus' return shouldn't cause any fear or anxiety or grief. Not if you're a genuine Christian. This teaching of Jesus' return should bring hope and comfort. That's why there is this teaching in the Bible about Jesus' return at the end times. To encourage us as Christians. To bring us comfort and hope. To encourage us and to spur us on to live godly lives. That's the purpose of the teaching. So like I said in the pastor's column, maybe we need that today. Maybe we need that. Maybe I need that. It's, it's becoming more and more evident that the world around us is a messed up place. And according to what the Bible says, it'll probably get worse. But for us as Christians, the good news is, we're getting out of here. That's the great news. We're getting out of here. We're leaving. Jesus is coming back to get us out of here. And to reunite us with him and those Christians who have died for all eternity. So let's turn our attention to that. Let's turn our focus to that. To what that implies. Instead of focusing on how horrible our world is getting. And wringing our hands in despair over that sad fact. Jesus is coming to get us out of here. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for Jesus. Let's allow this teaching to motivate us to live lives of holiness and godliness. 
and let's let it motivate us to share the gospel with others and to bring them to Jesus as well. So therefore we see from this passage the teachings on Jesus' return that gives us great hope and comfort as we look at the future. Those teachings are, number one, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of Christians who have died. Number two, Jesus will return and gather all Christians, dead and alive, to himself. And three, these facts are a source of hope and comfort for us as Christians. So in these times of trial, times when we see our world taking some very bad directions, let's look to Jesus' return and all that it means. That's what came to me. Maybe I needed this this week. Let's look to Jesus' return and all that it means. And let's, as Christians, comfort and encourage each other with these great hope and great comfort that Jesus is coming back. Having this knowledge and this truth in us and understanding this should motivate us to godly living, to be found by Jesus faithful when he comes, and should motivate us to share the gospel with others so others can accept Jesus as well and be part of this. That should be our focus as Christians. That should be our response to this knowledge of Jesus' return. So for the Christian, this is great hope and comfort. For the non-Christian, if you're here this morning and never have accepted Jesus as your Savior, that's, that's different for the non-Christian. You will be left behind like we are talking in the beginning, and that's not a good thing. But for us as Christians, this is the great hope that we have. And it's a comfort and it's an encouragement. So let's keep this focus and not become sidetracked with other issues. Let's take our moment of silence and just encourage you all, just open your hearts to what Jesus may be saying to you personally. I don't know where you, each of you are at in your own personal lives, but you and God do. So let's just take a few moments and allow God to speak to you to where you are at. Music team, please. Let's stand and sing together.
Thank you. Praise and prayer time. Anybody have anything you'd like to share this morning? Okay, let's bow and pray. It's our joy, Lord, just to come as a body of believers and collectively bow our heads and our hearts before you and bring these things that are on our minds and on our hearts to you, bring them to your attention. Not that you don't know about them, but uh, you've asked us, told us in your word, Lord, to make our request known to you. And so that's what we're doing here. Uh, we just thank you for the way you have worked. Thank you for the things that we can praise you for and, and uh, all the things we should praise you for. Uh, help us, Lord, to be faithful in giving you the praise that is due your name. But, Lord, the things that are, that are, are weighing on us, I, I just ask, as we bring them to you, Lord, that... Uh, that you would take them and shoulder them as you said you would, and we would just allow you to do that. Lord, we want to, with Jeremy, thank you for uh, the men's event we could have at camp there a couple weeks ago. And Lord, it was a, uh, a good time. Uh, good time to be together. So we praise you for that. Uh, I want to pray in a special way for Bonnie's mom and dad. As, uh, from what Chris, Chris has said, it sounds like. She's taking a turn for her worse, and who knows how long she has lost on this earth. But Lord, we just told, we heard some great news here today from your word that, uh, that uh, there's that resurrection coming, and there's a reunion coming for us as Christians. Comfort and encourage each other with these words. So Lord, I, I just pray that uh, Bonnie and her entire family, and, and Bill, and, and Sarah, and uh, all of them, Lord, would, would be encouraged this morning by this. Please draw close to them. Please comfort them. Please be with uh, Sarah as she is uh, experiencing what may be her last days. I just pray you bring her your comfort as only you can and hold her tight. Hold her close. Remind her that you're walking this road with her and you're not going to let go of her. And you're going to carry her through. Be with Bill. Help him, Lord, to uh, just prepare himself as much as possible for this and, and just be his strength and guidance each day and also Bonnie and Kendall and and Lord, everybody involved, I, I really pray you just be close to them and hold them tight. Lord, I want to pray for uh, uh, Christine. Uh, thank you, as Penny shared, her surgery went well. Uh, I pray that she would recover from that and be able to get out soon. But uh, Lord, it's her birthday today, and I just pray that somehow you grant her a great day today. I want to praise you for our music team. Thank you for them leading in music this morning. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, just the, the great words and the great music that reminded us of, of your coming and your return for us. And uh, I just pray you for them. Please bless them, Lord. They're putting in a lot of work to lead the music every Sunday for us here in the church. Just bless them, we pray. We want to pray for Brad and Sarah and their family. Lord, just pray, Lord, that there be some fruit coming out of this house showing that happened on Thursday. I pray, Lord, that, that uh, there be some results from that. And Lord, we just ask you to continue to guide and direct them. Lord, that's been a long, long haul for them and uh, they've been frustrated wondering, Lord, what you are doing in their lives and what you're wanting there from them and, and struggling to know what direction they should take. And Lord, I pray you grant them that direction. That, uh, this might be part of that direction and showing them where they need to or what they need to do. So Lord, go before them and help them, Lord, in that. 
Right, we want to pray for Bob and Betty Richardson. Thank you, Lord, for Betty's surgery, that it went well. And just pray for continued recovery from, from that surgery. And, Lord, if there are any treatments that need to come following this, I just pray prepare them for that. And help them, Lord, to know uh, uh, what direction to take with that. And more than anything, Lord, I pray that through this that uh, you draw them to you as well. And, Lord, for rain. We all need rain. And every day it seems like it kind of threatens, but it never happens. And So, Lord, I just pray you bring us the rain we need. The ground is very dry. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that of you. Ask that you would send us the rain that we so desperately need. Lord, I want to thank you for being, being here with us. And I pray that all of us would have heard from you this morning. Thank you for your word to us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, it would touch each one and encourage each one. And Lord, there's several of our church family who are not with us. Pray, Lord, that uh, if and when they watch a service online later tonight or tomorrow or whenever, Lord, that you would, you would speak to them through this as well, and encourage them. And Lord, we look forward to the time when we can all be back together in church on Sunday morning, uh, just free to worship together as a whole family. Lord, we thank you for the God that you are, and for the promises you give, and the encouragement you give. May we go forth in that strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Larry. Well, as we do every Sunday at this time, we remind people about the offering spot over there. Let's just pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich blessings you continually pour on us as people in this uh, rich country. And uh, we uh, now pray for the gifts and the offerings that will be given to honor and glorify you and to spread your word. And we ask your blessing upon it. In your name we pray. Amen. And also for the announcements, we kind of are winding down uh, with uh, things that are happening. So next week there's no uh, Sunday school or adult class, just a morning worship service. And uh, our uh, monthly prayer meeting this Wednesday. And other than that, we kind of are... No scheduled events for a while, I guess. Um, is there anything that somebody wants to announce that isn't in here? Okay, if not, uh, Pastor Glenn. So kids with your trivia quiz. Please hand your quiz to an adult in this church who you trust. And adults, here are the answers. We'll do her marking, here are the answers for your trivia quiz. Answer for question number one. The Christians who are left behind, would they miss out? That was the concern the Thessalonian Christians had. The ones who are, who are, sorry, the ones who died. The Christians who had died, sorry, would they... Would they be left out, or would they miss out on anything? And uh, you don't have to be word exactly like that, but that has to be kind of the idea <laughs> behind behind your answer. Question number two: the answer is the rapture. Question number three: Jesus' resurrection. Number four: the answer is Jesus. Number five: the answer is a shout. That's the word that goes in that blank. Uh, question number six: the answer is no. Question number seven: the answer is in the air. 
And question number eight, the two words in the blanks are hope and comfort. No particular order, but hope and comfort are the two words I'm looking for. There. So if you are 10 and under, you need to get four right. For older than 10, you need to get them all right to get a prize. So if you got a prize, you can come and, and see me later after the service. Let's close the prayer. Thanks, God, for allowing us to be together. May we take what we heard here this morning and live it out in our lives, whatever this coming week has. And uh, just send us away from here with that encouragement in our hearts. Dismiss us now with your blessing. We pray in your name.